Well, good morning, my beautiful family. That's me in the gym, you guys. That, that, that's what I look like. <laughs> hey, it is so awesome to see you all. Here we are, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. How many people, and, and look, how many people have already started cooking? Wave your hand at me. Wave. Okay, good. I don't have to come and slap somebody then. Okay, good. Good. So we're all, we're, we're all gearing up for Thanksgiving. So excited. I love, love, love Thanksgiving. And, and, uh, and thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about today, my, my beautiful family, I titled my message, Hallelujah Anyhow. Now, if I had just titled my message, Hallelujah, that'd be one thing, right? But that I added the word anyhow might give you a little bit of an indication of this. How many of you love to worship God? Wave your hands at me. Do you love praise and worship? Don't, man, our team, they do such a great job. How many of you know it's easy to worship God when everything in life is just great, right? I mean, doesn't it make sense? that you would lift your voice in praise and in thanksgiving to God when everybody's healthy, when all your bills are paid, when you're, you're feeling good in your body. I mean, it just makes sense to praise God when everything is going right. How many of you know there's a difference between hallelujah and hallelujah anyhow? <laughs> hallelujah anyhow is that I'm going to praise God. And I have a reason to give glory and honor to God even when things aren't going like I would want them to do. How many of you know it's a whole different ball game when you decide that you're not going to wait until everything turns out the way you want it to go before you start praising God? How many of you know that there is something transformative that happens in the life of a believer when you begin to give God praise in the midst of the storm. Amen, family. Anybody can praise God when everything's going good. But there's something that you start building on the inside when you praise God anyhow. And so a few weeks ago, I spoke a message to you called Just a Stone's Throw Away. And what we did is we looked at David and Goliath. Remember that, you guys? We look at that story, and I told you that that story, David and Goliath, we always think about David being the underdog in that story. But I hope I was able to convince you that David was not the underdog in that story, that Goliath absolutely was, because Goliath wasn't just going up against the army of Israel. Goliath was going up against the king of kings and the Lord of lords and how many of you know you don't want to mess with God <laughs> you know so Goliath was always the underdog in that story well we know that David defeated Goliath and wouldn't it be nice I would love to tell you and David lived happily ever after David joy David never had any more problems in his life his life was joyful. The whole rest, no it wasn't. No it wasn't you guys. See David was ordained to be king. God had decided that David was going to be the next anointed king. But the problem was is that before David could assume the crown, David had to 
endure a cave. David, after defeating Goliath, married the king's daughter. I mean, you want to talk about influence, you guys? He married the king's daughter. Guess who his best friend was? His best friend, Jonathan, was the king's son. So, I mean, anytime the Bible talks about David, you guys, it talks about David being really good looking, okay? So here we have this really good looking guy. He married the king's daughter. His best friend is the king's son. How many of you would agree David had it made? right? I mean, he's just defeated Goliath. He is the number one warrior. Everything in David's life was going perfectly until the favor that he had with King Saul turned to jealousy. David went from being the king's number one guy to the king's most wanted. The king got jealous because David was winning all these victories and the women start singing songs about David instead of about King Saul. And so the king decided he wanted David dead. And after several attempts on David's life, if it hadn't been for his best friend, Jonathan, the king's son, he might have gotten to him. But now David was on the run. The king who was just like, David is my boy. David is my number one warrior. Now, more than anything, King Saul wanted David dead. So David's on the run. And we're told, family, you're not going to believe this. If you've never read this, read this. I'm telling you, you've got to read this in 1 Samuel. David went from being a conquering warrior He was so down and so out of it and so defeated. Guess where he ended up running to for help? The people of Goliath. He shows up in Gath carrying Goliath's sword. And so how many of you know you have to be pretty down and out to run to your enemy for help? You get where I'm going? And so he shows up there thinking he could hide out there among the people, but then people start recognizing him. Hey, isn't that David? What's he doing here? Oh, isn't he the one that killed Goliath? What's he doing here? So once David realized that they were recognizing him, David had to do something pretty weird to get himself out of that situation. We read in 1 Samuel that once people started recognizing that this was the David, David pretended to be an insane person. He started beating his head against the gate and foaming at the mouth. And the Bible says that slobber and spit, isn't this hot? That slobber and and spit was dripping from his beard. And the king looks at him as like, why did you let him in? The king actually said this, King Achish, don't I have enough crazy people to deal with? Have you ever felt like that? He's like, don't I have enough crazy people to deal with? Why'd you let him in here? Get him out of here. And so we're told in the word of God that David escaped from the Philistines and where'd he go? He couldn't go to his mom and dad's house because the enemy 
would be sure, King Saul would be sure to look there. He couldn't go to friends and maybe, maybe distant family because the king would be sure to find him there. David ends up in a cave in Agilent, a dirty, dank, dark, lonely cave. And what do you imagine David would begin to say to himself? Have you ever been in a cave? Have you ever found yourself where um, you're so overwhelmed with the demands of life? Have you ever been there, you guys, where it's like, I just want to run away and hide? I've been there. And so David, knowing that he is supposed to be the next king, can only do what a fugitive does, and that's hide. And so in the word of God family, David hiding out in this cave, we're told that he wrote three Psalms. He starts, and, and I want you to understand this. It's, I want to make sure this is clear to you, family. You know the Psalms when they were written. They're not in any kind of particular order, okay? So as I'm jumping around here, I don't want you to think, well, why are we jumping from here to there? They're not put in any kind of particular order, the Psalms. So David, David is in the cave here, and Psalm 142 is when he first arrived. And that psalm sounds a whole lot like I bet we would sound. God, I can't believe I'm here. God, no one sees me. No one knows me. Woe is me. God, do you even see me? God, are you there? Hello? I can't believe this is how my life has ended up. God, I can't. Poor me. The Bible is clear in Psalm 142 that it was complaint after complaint after complaint. And most Bible scholars believe that David spent three to six months in the cave of Agilent. And so Psalm 142 is him griping and complaining and saying, God, hello, what are you doing up there? There's another Psalm that David wrote in the cave, Psalm 57. And in Psalm 57, family, he's still in the cave. You need to know that his situation has not changed at all, Matt. Everything is still dark, lonely, scary. I mean, nothing has changed. But in Psalm 57, something has happened in David. Because he's still a little bit like, I can't believe this is my life. I can't. But, but something begins to happen in Psalm 57. He's like, but God, I trust you. But God, I know that you're working in some kind of way. So that then by the time we get to Psalm 34, family, by the time he starts writing and singing this song, you need to know that people showed up. His family found out he was there, and so his family came to where he was, but it wasn't just his family that showed up. Guess who else showed up? The Bible says 
400 men who were in debt, who were desolate, who were in trouble. So here it is. You're in the cave being miserable all by yourself. And then who shows up? 400 other losers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can't you imagine them, Ron? You think you got problems. You think, you know what I mean? So you're in your cave. You're already feeling bad, Jessica. And then people are showing up to tell you you think you got it bad. You know what I mean? And so David's here now with his family, some of his family, and 400 men who are also fugitives. But family, something happened in David while he was in that cave. There was something, Jerry, that changed in David's heart and in David's mind. And so I want you to, I, I want to make sure, Diane, that I've painted this picture for you, okay? David is in a dark, huge cave, a cave big enough to hold at least four or five hundred people. And he's surrounded by these people who are down on their luck. And what do you imagine David would begin singing to this group of men who were also down on their luck, having been in a cave for a few months? Look at what David wrote and what David sang. Hallelujah. Anyhow. David wrote, I will bless the Lord when, family, at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. You need to know, nothing has changed. He's still in the cave. But something's changed. He says, no matter what I'm going through, I don't see an end to my suffering. But I will bless the Lord when I have enough and when I don't, when I'm popular and when they're trying to kill me for no reason, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear, and remember he's surrounded by these 400 down and outers. Let the humble hear and what? Be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to the Lord are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. And so here we are in the cave family. They're hungry. And can you imagine 400 men in a stink, what that cave smelled like? Can you imagine? And David burst into song. I will bless the Lord. At all times. I imagine these people begin to look at him. What do you have to be? So, what is, have you? Oh, he's finally lost it, you guys. He's finally lost his mind. What is he talking about? I'm going to praise God. What is he talking about? How many of you know that there is something transformative? There is something substantial that happens inside of a believer when we determine that enough woe is me that I'm going to give glory and honor to God, whether 
whether I feel like it or not, do you know, family, that I, here's what I found out to be true in my life, that a true Christian, Jan, can, can stay down for a little bit, but once you begin to glorify God, I don't know anybody that once you start thinking about the goodness of the Lord, that you can stay down. Because when you start thinking about where God brought you from, and you really believe his word, that he, he will make the crooked places straight, that he will go before you, and he will be behind you. I don't know anybody that once you begin to give glory and honor to God, you can stay down where you're at. And so family, I imagine these losers sitting around, woe is me, woe is me. I started thinking about the times in my life. It was woe is me, woe is me. What I know to be true, family, is when you decide to praise God anyhow, what you're doing is you're not denying reality, but you're getting your eyes focused on the God who is above our reality, who has the final word over your life and your situation and your circumstance. And family, I think it's time for the family of God to make a resolution that whether in seasons and times of lack, in times of sickness, in times of despair, that God is a good God no matter what I have or what I don't have, that in all seasons, and at all times, God is worthy of all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Amen, family. And so I hope you'll agree with me this morning that David decided, David said, number one, I am determined to praise God even when it doesn't make sense. Anybody can praise God when everything's fine. But you really show what you're made of. When you get a hallelujah in your mouth, in the storm, anybody can praise God after, after you're healed. Anybody can praise God after the marriage is restored. Anybody can praise God after your kid's out of jail. But when you have the audacity to lift your hands and glorify God when you're in the midst of it, family, there are times that you've got to encourage yourself. There's times, family, when you've got to say to yourself, get your eyes off of the situation and on to the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think or imagine. We've got to focus our eyes on him. We've got to look to him. David said, I'll bless him at all times. Why, Dave? Why would he bless him at all times? Because God is good all the time. He's worthy of the praise all the time. Yeah. It's a decision. It's a determination that even when it doesn't make sense, even when I don't know how those bills are going to get paid, I'm praising God anyhow. I imagine they sat there just listening to him. Like, what? This, I mean, this, this guy, I don't know, maybe he's, he's been in here a long time. Maybe he's, he's finally losing it. David goes on to say, of himself. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And because God is good family, what did God do? He didn't just, yeah, I hear you. 
Yeah, everybody's got their problems, Davy. You ever? God heard him and did what? Saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And it's important, family, that you get this. In your cave right now, you are not alone. There was never, even before his family and before, even before those 400 men showed up, David wasn't in that cave alone because do you believe the word of God, family, that for you and me and Ned, those who are found in Jesus Christ, the promise is I will never leave you, never forsake you. So there's never a time where we're left to our own wisdom and our own devices to figure it out. We're never alone. Never. And so the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him delivers them. Your deliverance is coming. And David can't help himself. He's talking about himself, but then he says, you need to taste and see for yourself. Listen, this is me up here talking, but what I want you guys to do is I want you to experience for yourself because how many of you know there's a difference between listen to someone tell you about Jesus and experience him tasting and seeing him for yourself, amen? amen. He said, taste and see, come on. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge. We're hiding out. This cave is a place of refuge. But David's, David's like, I don't get it twisted. My refuge, our refuge, our hiding place is in God. Yeah. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Those who fear the Lord have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now remember David's audience. David's audience is some of his own family and 400 men who very likely themselves were run out of town because of their unpaid debts and because of their character and their behavior. So David is sitting there talking to people who are down and out. But David realized something, and it's so important that you catch this family. David realized that these 400 men, the only reason they showed up to this cave is because they found out David was there, Ed. They found out that David's there. They knew King Saul was trying to kill him, but they found out David was there and David realized, look, these men are here and they're looking to me. They're looking to me for something. And so I came to tell you this morning, my beautiful family, that you might find yourself in a cave right now. And maybe your cave is financial. You know what it's like. Maybe your cave is something physical. It, 
It's, have you ever hurt so bad in your body, you guys, where you just, it's like no one call, no one come over, no one, like don't, don't even send cards. I don't even have the energy to read cards. You know what I mean? It's like where you just want to go into a kid. Have you ever been so full of sorrow that it's like I just need to retreat from public for a while? That's what David did, but then people showed up who were down and out. And there's a certain point, family, where David realized, wait a minute, I could sit here and I could keep bemoaning my situation. I could keep talking, woe is me, woe is me, oh poor me, oh no one's ever had it as bad as me. Or I can begin to glorify God and I can be an example to these down and outers that no matter how low you get, God always has a purpose for the pain that you're walking through. And so David realized it, family. David began to glorify and to praise God because he realized these people that are in this cave, they're listening and they're watching and they, they, they know that I'm a man after God's own heart. And so I came to remind you this morning, my beautiful family, that it matters what you say when you're all up in your cave. It matters. Because there are people in your family who know you're a believer and it's like, well, I just can't believe God would allow this to happen to me. I'm a good person. Good, a bad thing shouldn't happen to good people. And God, I don't know what you could, this is ridiculous, God. And you guys, if you read over in Psalm 142, the first Psalm that David wrote in the cave, he was there. But like David, there's gotta come a point as a believer where you turn the corner from complaining and you say hallelujah anyhow. There's gotta come a point, family, where you've gotta realize that there are people who are a lot worse off than me. And there are people that are looking to me. I, I don't have the luxury to be down and out and to stay down and out because my life, I am the light of the world and people are looking Looking to me for light. And so David realized, my beautiful family, number two, that our lives testify to others that the Lord has been good to me. And it's like, yeah, but you don't understand loss. Yeah, you don't know what it's like to not know where your next meal is coming from. You don't know. Here's what I'm here to tell you today. Yes, I do. And what I'm telling you, family, is there's got to come a point in your grief. There's got to come a point in your unforgiveness. There's got to come a point in your anger and in your rage. And there's got to come a point in your sadness and in your depression that you speak to yourself. And, you, and people might think you're crazy, but Jan, there's got to come a point where you say, self, you will magnify. I don't feel like it. I didn't ask you what you feel like. You will get your eyes on Jesus. You will think about where he's brought you from. And so it, it then, family, it goes beyond your feelings and it goes to what you have experienced of the Lord. I say to you, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so there's got to come a point where you turn that corner. There's nothing wrong with going to God and saying, God, this stinks. There, there is nothing wrong, hear me, there is nothing wrong with telling God the truth. God, my back hurts. God, these people are getting on my last nerve. God, I'm afraid. Because they've tried all the treatments they can. 
God, I'm sad because I'll never see her again on this earth. There is nothing wrong with going to God and saying, God, I'm scared. I'm scared, God. God, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. But there's got to come a point where you get a hallelujah anyhow in your spirit. And you say, if I have nothing to bring but a broken hallelujah, my praise looks so weak and so frail, I'm here to tell you, when you decide, when you're down at your lowest, that you're going to lift your eyes to the hills from whence come your help. When you decide, when you can't say anything else, I want to challenge you this morning to say hallelujah, because I guarantee you this family, God is not a man that he should lie, and help is on the way. If you'll just keep your eyes on God, your help is on its way. There's some situations and some circumstances in life that just don't change. They just don't change. There are things that you just have to look at and say, man, this is not how I thought it would be. But even in my pain, and even in my sorrow, God's got me. And people are watching. And I'm not telling you to fake it. I'm not telling you to just slap a grin on your face and just act like everything's fine. But I'm telling you, if you'll begin to praise God right in the midst of your nightmare, weeping may endure for a night, but joy, joy comes in the morning. And there's a kind of praise, family. There's something to be said about praising God when you're on top of the mountain. But how many of you know that there is a praise that when you're in the valley, when you're down and when you're out, there's something powerful about glorifying God anyway, even when it doesn't make sense. There's something about that in the valley kind of praise that builds up your faith. Yeah, we want it easy all the time. But it's the hard times that make us realize how much we need God. Let's wrap this up, family. David, in verse 17, he goes back to himself and he says, when the righteous cry for help, they're not just throwing out prayers that go unanswered. He says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them, what family? Out of all their troubles. That's the word of the Lord for you this morning. The Lord is near. And I want you, would you do your pastor a favor? I want everybody to just take a nice deep breath, okay? Just a nice deep. Let the word of God be like a healing balm to your heart this morning. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And what does he do? He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so there's no shame if you're here or you're watching this morning and you're sitting there with a broken heart. There's no shame in that. What I want to tell you to do is take all of the pieces of your broken heart to the one who can mend it. Who can mend it. 
he goes on to say, this is beautiful. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Can I get an amen? Don't you wish as soon as you gave your life to Jesus, it meant no more problems? Yeah. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he doesn't stop there. But the Lord, everybody say, but the Lord. But the Lord Lord delivers him out of them all because he's a good God. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. That's the word of the Lord for you this morning. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The word of the Lord for you today is the Lord redeems the life. Maybe you're sitting in your cave this morning and you're looking back over your life and you're like, all the time I wasted. Man, when I look back at all the money we blew, man, I can't believe I wasted the good years of my life with her. Man, I can't believe that I trusted him. Look at all the time I've wasted. The word of the Lord for you this morning. Look at all the time I've wasted in grief. Look at all the time I've wasted in isolation. God's promise to you this morning is that he will redeem. He will repay. He will restore everything that you feel like the enemy was able to sift away from you. The word of the Lord for you this morning is that God will redeem. You're not just wasting your time. He will redeem your life. The life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And so I came to tell you this morning, my beautiful family, whatever kind of cave you're in, and for a lot of you, I know what that cave is. I know for some of you that cave is sickness. And you're just, you're in there and you're waiting. I know for others, what drove you to your cave is relationships, broken relationships and dysfunctional relationships. Whatever kind of cave you're in this morning, it's important that you get a hallelujah in your spirit. And it's important that you know the truth of God's word. And the truth of God's word for you this morning, number three, my family, is I might be down. Let me hear you say, I might be down. Let me hear you. I might be But God, can you shout, but God, family. I might be down, but God is up to something. Hallelujah, family. God is working all things together. All things together for your good. I might be down, but don't count me out. They might be saying it's the end of my story, but God is still writing. And he says, victory. He says, victory, victory. 
And so I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning, family, to not just hear a message, but to demonstrate it. I wonder if you'll stand up on your feet with me today. And I wonder for just a moment, we're going to wrap this service up a little bit differently than we normally do. I wonder if just for the last moment of this service, whether you're in a cave or a cave is coming, (laughs) whether you're already there or you're on your way out, God has a purpose for what you're walking through. And you might be down, but you're not out. God is up to something. And so I want to give you an opportunity right there in your cave to begin to glorify God even before you see the answer, even before things feel better because sometimes it takes a while for things to start feeling better. I wonder if we could go out of this service, family, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, just giving God glory and praise. Can you worship him just for a moment, family? Praise God anyhow, even if if it still hurts, even if you don't see the answer yet. Can you just glorify God? problems come. Our problems and our trials and our heartaches come, family, to keep us focused on the horizontal, to keep us focused just looking down. But when you begin to praise and worship God anyhow, that takes your gaze and gets it vertical. Whatever you might be walking through, whatever your cave might be, this morning God is greater God is greater but God he has the final word let's pray thank you Jesus that you're moving on our behalf thank you that you're speaking hope where there is despair thank you God that you're so good turning sorrow into joy. And so that's what I pray for my family, God. Sorrow into joy. Will you look at me real quick, my beautiful family? I know what it's like to be in a cave. I know what it's like week after Pastor BG, who was the pastor here for nearly 20-some years, after he passed away, I I actually said this to the staff that next week after service. I came into the office and I said, I don't want to hear any laughing. There's, I don't want any any kind of joking. I I don't think I've ever shared this publicly. I forbid any kind of joking and laughter and, and, and fun and playing around. I'm like, I don't want to hear you guys laughing in the hallways. I know what it's like to be in a cave. And I was there for a few months. But I woke up one morning and I said, God, I'm tired of crying. And that morning I went into my office and I started playing that song, because I'm happy, 
if you feel like a... Now let me tell you, I was not happy. But I began to play that song every day. And do you want to know what happened? After a couple weeks, Brenda Nevin came over into my office and she came in, you guys, and even she started dancing with me. And listen, if you think you've seen Las Vegas showgirls dance, you've never... Whoa! You've never seen a dancer until you've seen... I mean... But we started dancing and we started praising God anyhow. Because God is still God. And God is good. And so as you get out of here this morning, my family, I love you from the bottom of my heart and you have a beautiful Thanksgiving. You might be down. But shout it with me, family. But God is up to something. Do you believe it? One more time, give him some praise. Thank you, Lord. God bless you, family. God bless you.